I am told and have been told for most of my life, I am too much. And you know what? You too. And that is done. It is time for us to empower ourselves, each other, to fully embody. Welcome to The Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram, nonviolent communication, and resonant healing with personal stories from individuals living real human lives. My name is Karen Nance, self-pres, social, sexual blind, three-wing two, with 371 trifix, and ENTP cognitive preferences. I hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited today to be talking to Catherine Bell, who I have gotten to know through my participation in the green room, but many other people know her through many other roles that she plays. So I'm going to attempt to make it through the long list of ways that Catherine contributes in this world. Um, Primarily and first and foremost, she is the founder of The Awakened Company, which works on corporate cultures. She's an expert panel member on the CCPC, which is thought leaders who are working on the purpose within corporations. She's also the co-founder of a new app called Awakenly, and I'm really excited to have Catherine tell us more about that. It has just hit the app stores, and I encourage everybody to download it, check it out. It sounds like it's really going to be something that lights up our ability to Uh, have some practical tools on this growth journey. Um, She's also a teacher at Queens University. She's a founder on the Awakened Project. She's an advisor to the Science Center and Impact Society. And outside of her professional roles, uh, Catherine is a mother of two lovely boys, a wife, a devoted friend, a colleague, a partner. And Catherine is a social, sexual, self-pres, blind Point eight on the Enneagram. She identifies with NTJ cognitive preferences in the Myers-Briggs system, and she has both extroverted and introverted components. So we'll, maybe we'll touch a little bit on that. But without further ado, I am so excited to welcome Catherine. And um, where would you like to begin, Catherine? What's so hot and alive for you in this moment? Well, Kara, first of all, I just want to say thank you for having me. It is just glorious to be with you. And I also want to say thank you for exploring the blind spot. Because for me, it's been a portal to growth. And I want to talk about something kind of a little bit outside of the Enneagram. Because I use so many different um, tools, shall we say, to become more present. And something really practical that has been helping me through my life for probably at least the nine last nine, 10 years is something called the Book of Houses mm. by Robert Cole. And what it does is it takes astrology and indigenous practices around nature and marries them. Wow. And so it's been very powerful for me to work with this material. So for example, right now I'm in my first house which is kind of your your time to cocoon, your time to go inward, your time to reflect. And I'm really working at bringing my blind spot up. Can and I ask one so question about the houses, yeah. just for clarity? Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. how many houses are there with this model? There are, well, it's based 
on astrology. So there are 12 houses. Okay. So are they the same houses within the astrology system? Because I know that one has to do with family. One has to do with career. Like I don't know much about astrology, but are they the same or different? They are the same houses as, as astrology with an exception. They're married to my own personal astrological chart. Okay. So it's taking the timing yes. of my own astrology chart mm-hmm. and putting it in the different houses, astrological houses. Okay. So first house is, you know, seeing the sun, a time to kind of rediscover self, a time to go into self. Okay. And so I like to use these very powerful ancient methodologies yeah. to help me embody a fully lived life. Okay. So, so do you t- want to take us through a summary of your houses and maybe give us one line about how each is manifesting for you? Because there's so much I want to talk to you about, but I'm really curious about this. And the one thing I'm just going to name that's also popping up for me is I've recently been introduced to human design theory. Have you heard of this? Human design. Yes, I am a manifesting generator. Okay, of course you what are. are. You, Kara? I'm a projector. Yeah, I'm, I'm like the easy breezy genius. That's what it's called. So as a projector, then what's your kind of function? Like what's your, because clearly we, we would work well together because you're yeah. a projector. I'm manifesting generator. Like, yes. so, because I, I don't know very much about human design, but I know what I am and I know what my teammates are. Oh, okay. Do you have other projectors on your team? We have mainly a lot of manifesting generators. We do have, I think, one projector. That's the other thing. On our team, we actually do astrology. So on Awaken Company team, we've looked at our group chart. Yeah. And on Awakenly, we've looked at our group astrological chart. And we do this as team building and fun. Yeah. And it's actually had a big impact on how we are in the world. And helps us to also understand ourselves more. And layered in, obviously, the Enneagram is kind of our an anchor mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. But using astrology with your teams, with your partner, is incredibly, incredibly powerful. So, what is your what's your sun sign, and where is your rising sign? I think those are some of the primary things that I've heard of. I'm a Libra rising. Okay. And. My son is in the 11th house and there's a whole bunch of stuff we could go into, but that's not really the point. The point is like, how do we actually live this stuff? So let's go back to Robert Cole's book, The Book of Houses, because I think everybody should really look at this book, look at their astrological chart, Yes, and it provides solid practices in terms of every month, what to actually do. Yeah. So if we're, let's just do one, let's just do one house. My first house, for example, it begins on October 17th and ends on November 11th. Okay. And the first house is about seeing the sun. It's time to rediscover myself. And I have really felt this need to kind of cocoon lately. Yeah. Take care of myself more. Yeah. This month is about rediscovering who you really are, letting your friends know that you love them and adore them. But I will need time alone in the month to come. Okay. And then it gives specific practices. Yeah. Go on retreat. Yeah. Notify all your friends and relations of your need to be independent and alone during this period. Nice. Change your clothes. Change your appearance. Change your hairstyle. Change your image and your approach to life. Yeah. Change your definition of yourself. Yeah. Paint a picture of yourself. So it gives all these practical practices. So I take that and go, okay, and I'm an eight, and I've got a whole bunch, you know, I'm really big into intention. Mm-hmm. So 
my intention for this year is radical self-care to bring up that blind spot of self-preservation. Nice. So this time for myself, for example, I said to to Russ just on whenever we spoke last Sunday or whatever it was, or Monday, I'm like, I need time by myself for a little bit. Just mm-hmm. bear with me. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do everything to do with me and just me needing to take care of myself, which Kara, as you know, as a mother, a partner involved in so many different things, for me, it's a real challenge because it's not where my energy naturally follows or naturally goes. My energy naturally goes more to the space of friends, family, partners, and also where that sense of aliveness is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Well, and I mean, I just, when you look at that list and the way that I introduced you, it's really hard for me to imagine how you have any time for self-care whatsoever. So to hear that you're taking this month and that this is your focus and that you've developed all of these practices to remember how important that is for you, it really sounds very powerful. And I'm really celebrating that you're honoring yourself in that way. Thank you so, so much, Kara. One of the big things in my spiritual tradition, which is Dzogchen and Vajrayana Buddhism, Okay. And I have a Lama, Lama Alioni, a female spiritual teacher, mm-hmm. which to me was very, very important to have a female spiritual teacher, is to have something called Vajra Pride. Okay. And that is to kind of take your spot in the world. Mm. And for me, what I'm learning is unless I take care of myself, I don't do a very good job of taking my spot in the world. Because Absolutely. my energy is so much more drawn outwards than it is to what do I need? Right. Well, and I'm just going to review for listeners, you know, when we've been talking about the self-preservation instinct, really, we need the self-preservation instinct, not only for our own care, but actually to really provide a nice, healthy, steady base from which we can grow. I almost think of the self-preservation instinct as cultivating very rich soil from which social and sexual energy just manifests from. And I think that when you're self-pressed blind, there's so much energy that's coming, not necessarily from a super built up self-pressed base, but it's almost manifesting from the universe in some way. And it seems like when we're young, we get away with it for a while. But I think over time, we can start to make ourselves tired. We can start to feel run down. We can realize that we just don't have quite as much energy to infuse. Some people actually talk about self-preservation instinct as, you know, it's the first one to have evolved. We have to stay alive before we can reproduce or do social activities and grow and build things in the world. And yet we all have all three instincts. So obviously you were able to take care of yourself, but as we get into midlife and further beyond, I think sometimes that blind spot becomes even more obvious and it becomes important to have more intentionality around that. How does that land for you? 100% Kara. So for me, I have done a marvelous job of outsourcing my self-preservation to other people. Mm -hmm. So that's been actually a way that I've become more self-preserving because other people, I'll have other people do things for me. Yeah. And I've always kind of, I, I get help, I solicit help, I ask for help. And what I'm realizing is that my nutrition in, in my soil is now getting deeper, richer, um, more electric, more um, satisfying for me when I actually do things for myself. And yeah. it's interesting you mentioned the soil because what Robert Cole does in this 
this book is he actually marries it all to nature. So okay. it's all a natural process. And I believe the truth is always, we can find so many truths in nature, mm-hmm. and it's incredibly powerful for us to then apply it, whether it's astronomy or whether it is, and as you know, I'm involved in the Science Center, or whether it's scientific process. I think there's so many mirrors for us to mirror our well-being. And what I'm learning from this cultivation of more self-preservation, and I'm still working on it, um, is I actually think that there's a generation of a new instinct that's forming, Mm. more of a collective instinct, Kara, Mm -hmm. that I think that there's a real invitation for us as humankind to tap into this different instinct, a more powerful instinct than our three primal instincts. And I don't know if you've ever felt it. It's when we feel like there's a field around us. That's my experience of it. Have you ever had that experience, Kara? Yes, 100%. The way that I describe it, though, is for me, this feels like the very fine, high vibrations of the social instinct. Because at the end of the day, when I think of like, let's just talk about the levels of development of instinctual intelligence, I would say. So if I think about social on the most basic level, which social's my middle, I think that I was doing it in a pretty basic way for a pretty long time. I was pretty much focused on my nuclear family. I ended Mm. up going into a medical practice that was very small. I was the only provider with, you know, four people supporting me. Like my social world was pretty insular. And it's really only been the past decade. Oh, and I want to throw my kids in. You know, I have the four kids that have been incredibly important to me. But it's really this past decade that I've been stepping out into broader and broader social fields. And this podcast is actually one example of my social instinct coming online because I'm having this really deep desire now to connect with everybody that's doing this kind of work in the world and sort of finding my place there. And this Mm. is where, you know, you started talking about human design theory a little bit, and we talked about my role as a projector, which has been really interesting for me to... Um, start to understand because as a projector, what my natural gift is, is to see energy dynamics and patterns in others and to experience people in unique ways. So there's actually a leadership component to being a projector that is different than being a manifesting generator where you're actually creating so many organizations, so many systems. There's, It feels like there's a lot more eight energy there. For me, uh, the way that I come through the world is really by watching what amazing people are doing and then seeing these patterns. And so as a projector, we're here to solve problems. And oftentimes, you know, my Myers-Briggs type is ENTP, and we're sometimes called tacticians. So sometimes we can go in and actually show others how to use their energy more efficiently. So we tend to work best in roles where we're directing work instead of executing on details. And this really manifests for me in my first career as an internal medicine doctor, because really that's what I did all day was see 20 people a day, see how they were using their energy, start to understand these patterns, which the understanding of the instincts and cognitive functioning and the enneotype really helped me to even better diagnose what direction people might benefit from. And as I'm moving into this realm, which what I really find that I enjoy doing 
is working with individuals as well as collaborating with teams, but more from taking that view of what is the problem that we're trying to address here. And I have a very systems-oriented mind where I can sort of integrate lots of complicated data, and then it almost feels like something comes in from my belly center that gives me a bit of an instinctual knowing of, ooh, I think this might be a leverage point. Let's look at that. So when I'm thinking about what you were talking about with the social instinct, for me, the way that I see my social instinct evolving is that I'm starting to learn and bring the expertise that I'm generating into fields that have complexity in them and just sort of start conversations where the manifesting generators are going to take whatever it is that I do with this information I'm putting out there. And then just hopefully, like it's my deep longing that my contribution in this big interconnected web where we're not only connected to every soul on the planet, but also the trees and the rocks and the animals and the oceans and this sense that our planet depends upon us really leaning into what I'm describing as the highest form of social instinctual energy is what really inspires me when I hang out with somebody who's social dominant like you that came to this before your, you know, 40s, you know, and it sounds like you've been living this way your whole life. So how does all of that land with you? Uh, well, it definitely lands with me. And it also explains why we need each other. So Russ and I had the creativity series on Monday, and we did the eight. And I gave the example of the Awaken Company, which was published in 2015 by Eckhart Tolle's publisher, Namaste. And right now it's being launched in soft cover in December. Most business books survive six months. But what I have, Kara, I have been given the gift of vision. So I've been given this kind of, I can see what's needed. And I don't have the gifts like you do of putting all that scaffolding up around it. So it, to me, when you were describing it, it just kind of solidified for me why we need each other. Uh, and I also really feel that everybody can tap into their own, um, their own fullness mm. as well of having and working with the nine architectures and the three instincts of the Enneagram. And I think that's a real invitation of this time because we are facing a lot of challenges. And I think unless we all work on ourselves, do that inner work to manifest and generate and project in the inner and outer, that that secret may never come online. And I think right now is the time for us to really lean on ancient wisdom typologies and methodologies, which is why I brought up, I've never brought up my work with Beth Hedva and Robert Cole ever before. But I was thinking, I'm like, this community is ready for it. Absolutely. Because look at the hermetic tradition, it yeah. weaves together all of these different things. Yeah. And it's it's needed. When you say your secret sauce is partnership, meaning you love and excel and at making partnerships or Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that anytime like look at my whole like if you look at my life. Yeah. It's my alchemy is in working with other people. Yeah. And like, for example, when I, I'm a, I founded a company called Blue Era and it became one of the most profitable companies in Canada wow. and also a best workplace. Yeah. And it was because of the alchemy of the partnership. That's amazing. And when I left, most, most founders, when they leave Kara, yeah. they um, totally abandon. Um, 
abandoned and I didn't I became like a grandma and I walked through kind of the seasons of that partnership and the company was successfully bought by a company called DHR and they left the culture alone and it continues to thrive and on my YouTube I have the new managing partner Brian who I've been was mentoring since I was he was in his 20s I think yeah and he's taken it over so it's just like I am always in partnership yeah. And I see the interrelatedness everywhere I go. Yeah. Like it's, well, just I feel part, that. It, it's I in mean, my DNA. Yeah. I mean, I've been in your green room and for some reason I have a sense of partnership with you, even though we've had very few one-on-one conversations and haven't worked on any projects together. It's just so exciting for me to talk to people that have this sense of partnership because we each have our own unique gifts. And that's one of the things I love about the Enneagram is that as you start to understand the nine points, it's like we're all going to have sort of a specialty. And yet, as you said, we're cultivating the energies and we have access to all of it inside of us. And so as we do our growth and as we're able to really stay connected to all of these different energies from the universe, like that's when we really come into our fullest potential. But what excites me about the Enneagram is that we, we have these essence qualities and you can really see that shining through when somebody has worked. And I'd love to hear, um, share with us what your essence qualities are as a point eight and how that's uh, manifesting for you in the world. What's super interesting is I want to duck and hide right now because I'm <laughs> not used to saying what my essence qualities are. Uh, so what I would say my essence qualities are, which I think Awakenly gets to, and it also speaks to my my reason. My, my reason for being is to be a universal muse in service to humanity and the planet by radiating wisdom, love, and power. Mm. So yeah. anything and always to inspire and support what is needed in the moment. Yeah. With wisdom. Yeah. That is what I'm about. And wisdom, what I mean. Love and power. Now, what comes to me when I hear you say that is I see the arrows of the point eight, which eight is meant, you know, represented often. We have that power. Your two arrow of integration is the love. And the five arrow is the wisdom. Has this been something that's always been a guiding force for you? And do you feel those very strong connections to your arrows? I feel the very strong connections to the arrows. And in particular right now, though, as women, I think we really need to step into our power and empowerment and empowerment of the feminine energy. And I would encourage everybody and anybody, because everybody has it, everyone has access to it, to lean into this energy at this time. Mm. So I'm right now really focused on empowerment to be of service to humanity and the planet in any way I can. Now I have to watch this because that's where the catch is, Kara. Also recognizing that this vessel, this vehicle, my body also needs a lot of self-care. So, Mm -hmm. you know, working on practices to embody that. Because I really, what kind of I, it drives me crazy is when people talk about things, don't do them. They act like they're something, but they aren't that. They don't really embody the practice. I want to really embody the work. Yeah. That to me beautiful. is so fundamental Absolutely. is the embodiment of it. Yeah. Not just being a talking head. Yeah. And saying, so, 
having the wisdom, but not applying it. That's not what this is about. We all need to actually apply the wisdom, the wisdom of the Enneagram, the wisdom of our instinctual stacks, the wisdom of astrology, the wisdom of science, the wisdom of alchemy. And so for me, the integration of the whole is very important as a community, which I love what you're doing around bringing people together around this conversation about instinct because our instinct is, you know, it's so fundamental. And here I am, you know, I'm not going to say how old I am. No, I'm 51. Like, so it's like, here I am, 51, knowing the stuff and still really working on it. Yeah. Well, I want to bring up something that I heard Julie talking about recently. She was one of our teachers in the shift class. I'm forgetting her last name in the moment. But um, she was speaking on these three forces within the feminine energy and the feminine archetype and the divine feminine. And she was drawing an analogy between point eight, point two, and point four. And she was saying that, you know, the energy of the two is a more classic version of femininity as like a nurturer, caregiver, um, that, that love that you're talking about. And that the eight represents sort of that mama bear protector, you know, powerful energy where, um, anybody who has touched into that knows what it's like when you are protecting the people you love. And then she talked about the four as being the seductive, the more sexual, sultry side of femininity. And as I was hearing her talk about that, what came up for me is that I was also seeing alignment with how the divine feminine shows up in each of the instinctual drives. Because when I think about the self-preservation instinct, that to me feels like the point eight energy. We have to have a powerful base. We have to keep ourselves and the people we love alive and thriving and nourish them with the energy that's going to enable them to have their base and go launch to whatever it is that they're going to do. It felt like the two energy she was referencing was a very social feminine energy that I'm going to take care of you. um, I'm going to nurture you. I'm going to nourish you. Sort of the, you know, baby at the breast is sort of the image that I have with that point two energy. And to me, that feels like it has a social energy. energy to it. And then that four energy she was talking about, to me, sounded like the sexual instinct. And how do we as women connect with our sexual power and our sexual energy and the vibrancy and the life and the pleasure and the joy and have that not only coming through us in our experience of our sexuality, but also in all the ways that we know the sexual instinct is involved with creation. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes there's destruction. We have to clear out what's not working before that sexual energy comes in and creates the new. And so I think that these are three very important elements of the divine feminine. And I think that each one of us is going to feel like based on our instinctual stack, that we may have more or less access to each of these. And I think this is where blind spot work can also be 
really interesting. And as I'm thinking about you, Catherine, identifying as self-preservation blind, it's interesting to me that perhaps you come across as so balanced because while self-preservation is blind for you in some ways, that self-preservation instinctual energy has a lot in common with point eight. And so I think that we feel both from you. So as I sort of throw that model out there, I'm curious how that's landing with you. In terms of self-preservation and and myself, I am actively working on it. Like I have journals everywhere saying, yeah. like, and here's what I'm going to do. And here's what I'm going to do. And here's what I'm going to do daily. Yeah. Like, for example, before this meeting, I made sure I had water and a coffee and my kombucha. I never would have done that before, Carol. Yeah. So yeah. being extra deliberate. And I think our intention also really matters. Um, the eight is we do need, we all need a power base. The two, we all need heartfelt connection. The four, we all need our individuality and the sultriness. And where I think the sexual instinct comes up for me is I cannot help but to create. It's almost like I have a creation lightning bolt through me. And this started from when I was very, very young. I would create theater for my family. Like I cannot help but to be in creation. And I see everything as organic creation. And I also see it as an experiment. So it's kind of a marriage between the four and the five there. Everything for me is like an experiment. Yeah. And so how do we play with that? And it also then gives us more latitude Uh to say, oh, you know what? This is just an experiment. Let's try this. Let's experiment with this. Let's open this up. Yeah. Like it's kind of weird to start an Enneagram thing on astrology and indigenous traditions around nature. However, it's very much part of, I think, having a more complete vista or picture of what the Enneagram's about. It's not a static system. It's a system that's alive. And for me, it's playful. And I do think that human beings are creating another instinct. And I'm going out on a limb saying this, Kara, it's beyond social, it's beyond self-preservation, it's beyond sexual. What I see, I have this vision. Yeah. And the vision, I don't know when it's going to happen. It typically does happen. But it's actually our, we will eventually feel, in my opinion, our interconnection without our bodies. Mm. Yeah. Without our bodies that will actually be all in stream together. Yeah. I love that. So it's a different it's a different form of being. Yes. Uh and I see this in the in the future. That this is a little out there. If you know, my business colleagues hear this, they're going to be like, what is she talking about? Well, but I can feel this. I know exactly what you're talking about. When I get into deeply meditative states, I personally notice that the boundaries between my physical body they kind of blur and I actually start to experience myself as more of an energetic essence. And also um, specifically, you know, the social instinctual connection and the sexual instinctual connection with others feels different for me. The social is the lighter. It's sort of, um, I feel it with you right now. Like I can actually, um, and I feel a lot from my heart. You know, I'm a heart-centered type. So, I mean, I... (laughs) Sometimes I say I feel, I haven't used MDMA, but I say they call about this heart streaming thing. Mm. And I kind of can create a heart stream with anybody that I'm present with. 
So even in this moment, for me, the way I'm feeling my connection to you is sort of in this heart-to-heart energetic way, even though you're in Canada and I'm here in Chicago, there's still this like, it for me, it's sort of a light, but I like Tinkerbell came to mind. There's like this energetic tinglingness that sort of is existing there. Now, when I think of a sexual connection, there's a little more heat to it. There's a little more intensity. And for me, there is that sensation of even like, for me, it's like a chest to chest connection where that heart connection for me, it like it intensifies. So when I'm in a social instinctual connection, it feels a little more light and open and airy and it can include not just you, but anybody else that might enter our space. And we, it just sort of for me, gets bigger and bigger and bigger as I continue to expand in my social energetic field. When I'm in a sexual one-to-one with somebody, especially if there's actual physical sexual energy being manifested, there's almost like a laser type focus and more of a heat and more of an intensity that comes there. So I'd be really curious to hear how you experience that energetically for you. Is it similar to what I said or how would you describe it in your experience? So sexual energy, oh, I can't have a day without it. Mm-hmm. Like I just, that fire, that ignition. Now keep in mind, I'm also an eight mm-hmm. and eight is lust, right? So right. like it's, it's got to be parceled out a little bit here. Yeah. Um, however, for me, that zing, when I meet somebody's eyes, and it could just be for a moment. I even feel it now. Your eyes, if this was on video, your eyes kind of narrow and they kind of go in and I totally feel it. Yeah. And it, it's great. I mean, it's a different energetic feel. You just shifted it. Like, I don't know if you did it consciously, but I totally could see it visually. And I don't know if vi- listeners can hear it, but it has a different energy. It's a different energy. And it's, uh, it's like making love to being. Yeah. And for me, like, I can't imagine a life without sex. Like, that's just kind of that energy, that oneness, that power, that energy. And as women, we kind of contain the energy. We hold the energy after we've made love. Yeah. So it's like our energetic field, it's charged. It gets charged. Yes. In ways that are often not talked about, Kara. Well, this we is why women have multiple orgasms. Like women, you know, men, historically, sometimes it's like one and done. Whereas we know that women, it's almost as if the sexual energy is just getting stoked until we start to bring it down. Is that your experience of it? Yes. And I, I love that you brought in multiple orgasms because that happens. And with women, it's it's also... I wouldn't even say it's brought down. It's contained. We're yeah. vehicles. We're containers. We mm-hmm. have the wombs, physically yeah. wombs yeah. of yeah. holding, of of creation itself, that dark womb. What could be more yummy than a dark yeah. womb? You know, right. like just that. And also that aliveness, that sensuality. I love bodies. Yeah. Like I absolutely love being in my body, being with other people's bodies, like, it's just like, oh, that is, that gives me fuel, gives me energy. Yeah. And to play with it appropriately. Of course. Like, yeah. to that's a very subtle, a subtle line to kind of, oh, 
You're magnetic. Let's talk. Well, and I'm very curious because I think we're both sexual beings. And it's interesting because it's in my blind spot, but you know, I've been talking about some of my blind spot work and I feel like my sexuality has really come online in the last decade um, in a way that I hadn't experienced it before. Um, listeners have heard me talk about how I feel like there's self-preservation sex and there's social sex and there's sexual instinctual sex. And the best sex is when all three are integrated and there's really like this, you know, experience of all of it at the same time. But because this is a zone that has been an area that I've really been evolving and exploring into, what I think is interesting is when as women, we are honed in to our sexual instinct, how is that received by the world around you? Because just because you're engaged in your sexual instinct with another individual, whether that's a man or a woman, and depending on sexual preference, like what kind of messaging do you receive back and how do you work with that? Because I think it's a challenge for women today. I think it's always been a challenge for women. And Kara, just I'm planting the seed because I want us to go back to it. There's a difference between bliss and rapture and sex. Can and you I tell me that, what the difference is? Tell me now. Okay, tell you now. Okay, so have you ever had moments of rapture and moments, moments of bliss? Well, I need you to define them because these are terms that are new for me and I have ideas of them, but I want to know how you would define it and then I can tell you if I've experienced it. Okay, so I read the book, The Interior Castle by St. Teresa. And it so accurately described the moments when I've just been taken. I mean, incomplete rapture with being. Incomplete. It's like, oh, how would I describe it? Almost like being on a cloud, on pink cloud on earth, and the texture is very light, and the energy is so strong, and it's also incredibly peaceful and incredibly loving, and I go literally have moments of rapture and bliss. And what's super ironic is when I went to Spain, I got guided by a fellow named Jose. He's like, you need to go to see St. Ignatius's cave. I'm like, what the heck is he talking about? So then I did some research on St. Ignatius, and St. Ignatius was the first Jesuit, which Don Riso was a Jesuit, and it's where he experienced rapture. And what's the difference of bliss? Because you said rapture and bliss, so I think I have a sense of rapture, and no, I have not experienced it, but let's go talk about bliss. Experience them both the same, rapture or bliss. Both oh, okay, so they, they're interchangeable words? Yes, they're interchangeable okay. words, and it's almost like the universe has taken me. Yeah. The universe yeah. has just absolutely. And I get the most profound insights. I'm writing a poetry book. And this is where the poetry book comes from, of these moments of just being taken and swept into the absolute multi-dimensional component of now. That's amazing. Okay, so you said rapture, bliss, and was there another word that you used? Well, and the difference between making love, it's very different. And when you're in that moment, when you're in bliss or rapture, and you're making love, it's an entirely different field and experience. Wow, I'm so excited that I have this to look forward to as I continue to uncover my sexual blind spot. Well, and it's it's it opens up portals. Yeah. And we need to discuss it and it's probably somewhat taboo to talk about. And then getting back to your original question, I am told and have been told for most of my life, I am too much. Me and too. you know what? You too. And that is done. It is time for us to empower ourselves, each other, to fully embody. Yeah, you know, so it's interesting. 
This is um, where the Jungian psychology has been super helpful for me because my dominant cognitive function is extroverted intuition, which for me is I get so many ideas. And, you know, I loved how you were talking about that openness to possibility. And, you know, like my brain just kind of has fireworks explosions of ideas. And then people who listen to this podcast may be noticing that it's like ping, 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 ping. But I can always also bring it back. And then my secondary function is introverted thinking, which is why I love maps, which is why I love the Enneagram, which is why I love Myers-Briggs, which is why I love human design, which is why I love astrology, which is why I love any and every model that somebody wants to talk about. I have the kind of mind that just kind of naturally integrates them all. So combine that longing to talk and explore externally, that doesn't happen for me as much alone by myself. It happens in these conversations, which is why they're so exciting for me, as well as all of the maps and everything that I've input. But my 10-year-old function, my third function, it's this place of deep insecurity. And for me, this is extroverted feeling, which is sort of what is the dynamic and the feel in the group? So for me, with my own too muchness and my own sexual energy, that this has been something that I'm really helping to grow up. They call it in Jungian psychology, the eternal child. So I have needed outside affirmation. And this goes into my point three structure around being very sensitive to praise and blame. And so I love befriending female eights because I know that I have this power inside of me, but uh, part of my journey is that I am excessively sensitive to criticism. And it just seems like eights have some like Teflon to that. Whereas for me, it can be more like Velcro. Mm. Well, one thing um, for me has been to see everything as an experiment and learning. Yeah. So, and also I'm very aware when I get feedback, it's, often a lot about the other Mm. that I'm like, okay, what's important for me to pay attention to? What's, what's the other person's stuff? Like, and I invite, invite that playfulness and that inquiry into any feedback that I get. Cause for me, life is like a learning portal and it's like, okay, what do I need to learn today? You know, what do I need to pay attention to today? Yeah. And I believe that, you know, I deeply, um, it's like, I know that that's true, but what I've been developing is the embodied true knowing of it, you know? So I'm just naming that this is my growth around all this. So this is why doing this podcast and having these conversations has actually required me to really work that arrow to six and really bring that courage online because, you know, we talk about a lot of things. And one of the things I've always loved about you is the way you so stand in your power. And for me, it's really, really supportive to cultivate those kinds of friendships because as strong women, there often is the message that we are too much. Very much so, Kara. And I really think and I feel that our group in the green room, as we hold that collective field, it is a very, very, very special group of people that are really meant to be and be out in the world doing amazing things like you are doing now. Uh, So I just really encourage you. I think what you're doing is amazing. And back to what Julian Barling said to me, what's the smallest thing I can do right now? And that's just be here with you. And I've absolutely loved 
being with you. What a gift you are. And and I, what I also love about you, Kara, is how multifaceted you are and you're willing to go in. And you're also, one thing I love about threes, I've worked with a lot of threes, you are doing something about it. And to me, that's magic. Mm. So thank You've you. You've created that. so many like beautiful platforms for us. And, you know, the green room has been such a gift. I think that also one of the things about being heart centered is that we just so love community. You know, we so love that sense of belonging. And you just have this beautiful shepherd energy, is what I might call it, where, you know, you have this flock in the green room and, you know, you. You just hold us all with so much love and so much grace, and it really feels like a safe container where each one of us that is showing up with our own unique set of gifts and our own unique challenges with whatever edge we're learning um, is just really made very welcome. And it's just so wonderful to have this community of seekers and growers. And as I've been interviewing people, I just keep getting amazed at what each person is bringing into the world. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Kara. Well, Catherine, I really appreciate that we've had this time together. And uh, I hope that we continue to have these exciting conversations. I can think of so many domains where powerful women can come together and continue to have these hard conversations. And I hope that I might be able to have you back in the future to continue some of these dialogues we started. I would love that. A whole other topic just swooped in. So we'll have to do that. And thank you for holding me in a vulnerable space. I even like when I hiccup, when my voice hiccups, it means I'm getting emotional or, mm. or and or I'm thinking. Um, so thank you for holding me in a vulnerable space. And thank you for diving and getting me to dive into topics I don't typically discuss. Mm. Well, I appreciate it. We, there's so much we want to hear. So we'll definitely have to have you back. Thank you, Catherine. Thanks, Kara. If you enjoyed this, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it helps a lot. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in a future episode, please email me at contact at enneagramblindspots.com. I also offer a wide variety of services at my practice while SNSMD, including typing services, Enneagram coaching, nonviolent communication training, and mindfulness trainings for working with stress, anxiety, and food cravings. Feel free to call my office at 847-850-8185 to schedule a free consultation.